0: My name is David Oppel, I'm from Tucson, Arizona and this is my miracle story. One day, towards the end of my junior year of high school, I woke up and my right arm was paralyzed. I couldn't move my shoulder, I couldn't raise my arm. And for the majority of that time, it lasted eight months. The doctors didn't even know what was wrong, but the hardest part of it all was that all of my plans for after high school were thrown out the window. I wanted to do what my dad did and what his dad did. I wanted to join the military. But with this new disability, that was out of the question. So I had to find something else to do with my life. And the only thing I could think of that I would maybe like to do was music. I had always liked music, but just more of a hobby, you know? And then I found this little music school in downtown Memphis called Visible Music College, and it was perfect for me. It felt like the perfect fit. The problem was we just could not afford it. And that was difficult, and during that time I was still trying to figure out what was wrong medically, and the doctors finally figured out that it's a condition called hereditary neuropathy with a liability of pressure palsy. And what that meant for me was the nerves in my shoulder had severed and there was no fixing it. This was my new life. And they told me that this condition affects one out of every hundred thousand people. And I bemoaned that number. I would go to God with so many questions. Why me? But then one day, I was running in P.E. I'll never forget this. This was my senior year. And I thought I heard the Lord tell me to raise my arm, that now was the time. And I had thought He had said this before, and I was wrong, and it didn't happen. But there was something different about this time. And, And so I tried it, and to my surprise, I was able to raise my arm again. And the Lord, in a miraculous moment, healed my body, but he did not stop there. I graduated from high school, I was still trying to figure out what I was gonna do with my life, and two weeks before the college fall semester was supposed to start, I got a call that I had won a scholarship for $25,000 to go to whatever school I wanted to, and that I was one entry out of 100,000, just like I was the one out of 100,000 people who would be affected with this condition. The Lord was working it all together. And as a family, we came together and and we prayed and said, Lord, you're clearly providing here. We can see it. This is where I'm supposed to go. But this only covers the first year of school. We need you to provide for the rest. And I tell you, he provided time and time again. I would show up to school the next year not knowing if I would be allowed to, I had no money, and a payment would come out of nowhere. Just miracle after miracle, God provided. And I graduated with little to no debt, I met my wife there, I found a calling to ministry, and ultimately I got hooked up here at Getwell Church. The Lord has been moving time after time, and I have been learning to trust His faithfulness. This is My Miracle Story.
1: Thanks for joining us this Sunday morning from home. Hope you are warm and safe uh, where you are. Today, we're starting a conversation on miracles. Specifically, we're going to be asking the question, why does God do miracles? And the truth is, for a lot of us, Uh, We hear and see some of those fake stories about miracles, people uh, fabricating stories for uh, their own use, their own gain. And and we grow skeptical about uh, whether or not God really does miracles today. So we hear stories like David's and we wonder, you know, what was really happening there? Now, I want to encourage you to start off. Let's just encourage one another to really understand and believe God is still in the miracle business are we willing to really believe so here's what happens to you and me when skepticism takes over the first thing that we do when we fail to believe that God can and does do the impossible we tend to magnify and focus on our problems the second thing that happens when we grow skeptical, we, we struggle to believe in the miracle working power of God, is that we minimize the power and the character of God. What we want to do as followers of Christ is we want to flip that right the way it's supposed to be. We want to minimize the size and the scope of our problems and magnify the power and character of God. Even the way that we look at our problems can be changed when we focus on the unbelievable, awe-inspiring power, the miracle-working power of our God. So we tend to focus on problems as a hurdle, something that we've got to overcome, something standing in our way. But often, in God's perspective, it's not a hurdle. Rather, our problems are actually a platform for God to show us His love, His grace, and his power. As you look through the Bible, particularly in the Gospels, you see God doing amazing miracles. We see over and over again God doing miracles through his son Jesus to show us his love, to show us his character. And as we look through history, whether it's our own history or the history of the church, we see God continuing to do miracle after miracle after miracle. And as we look at these miracles, we begin to understand that there's actually a specific purpose that helps us understand not only why does God do miracles, but what is it that we can expect God to do in and through our lives together. And one of the first miracles that we find in the Gospels, a miracle of Jesus, happens in John chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at that together this morning. So John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Hope you've got your Bibles ready to go this morning. Let's take a look. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. and his disciples believed in him. Now, a couple of things that we want to note about this story. The first is that God brings miracles with what I have to offer. In other words, the more that I bring to God and put in his hands, the more God transforms. In the story, Jesus is told about the problem from his mother Mary, that they've run out of wine. And he turns to the servants and he says, go and draw from these water jars. And he tells them, I want you to fill them with water so that you can draw it out. Now, the command here of Jesus is to fill it completely. But just like you and I sometimes do with God's instructions, there was a moment of choice where they had an opportunity to interpret what the instructions of Jesus was. I mean, were they to fill it two-thirds full Uh, three-quarters full? Do they fill it to just an inch or two from the top? What do they do? They fill it to the brim. You see, it's significant in the story. Jesus didn't add to what was in the jar. He just transformed what was in the jar. And because the servants were willing to fill it to the very top, to the brim, what they received in return was a complete transformation of all that they had put in. They got this wonderful, amazing, awe-inspiring wine filled to the brim. So the first thing that we need to understand is we come looking for God's miracles, trying to wrap our mind and our hearts around what God does through miracles, is that God's gonna take and transform whatever we bring. And we've gotta have this mindset, Lord, it all belongs to you. Everything I have, all of my life, everything that I could possibly bring, it already belongs to you, and if I wanna see transformation in my life, the more I bring, the more you're going to transform. The second thing that we see here is that God does more than we can ever do on our own. As Mary brings the problem to Jesus, we've run out of wine, she is clear, really everyone in the know at that party was clear that there was nothing that they could do about it. They weren't going to run down to the market and pick up more wine. They were, had a serious, serious problem. They run out of wine, and, and this is a significant moment in the life of this family, this wedding banquet, and to run out of wine in this moment, it wouldn't just be embarrassing. It would be a, a moment full of shame. And Mary being close to the family, her heart is broken, she reaches out to her son, knowing what he can do, and says, will you do something about this moment? Nothing that they could do. And I wonder how many times in our lives do we get to a place, a problem, a predicament, a challenge, a struggle, a question, and there's really nothing that we can do about it. And it's in this moment where God will often step in for his children and do what only God can do. And I wonder how much of the time could we save ourselves? A lot of worry, a lot of stress, a lot of unnecessary self-inflicted pain. If rather than waiting for that moment of desperation to depend on God, we could depend on him from the beginning knowing that at the end of it, God's gonna do what only God can do. the third thing that we see here is that God is always moving toward the better. I love the the part of the story, they bring the wine to the master of ceremonies, and he's shocked, he's surprised, and he basically says, listen, uh, usually people bring out the best wine first, So that when everybody is is of clear mind and judgment, they they understand what they're receiving and then they bring out the cheaper wine later, but you flipped it on its end and and you've brought this surprisingly good wine. Now the servants know, and we know reading into the story, why it's so much better. Because Jesus had done something miraculous. Miraculous. But I love what it teaches us about God is that God is always moving toward the better. When we put our lives in his hands, when we pray, when we call out to God, when we ask God to do what only God can do, he moves us toward better relationships, a better peace, a better joy, a better love, better character, better purpose. Why does God do miracles? Well, in part, is because he's moving us toward what is better maybe even doing something impossible in your life or in mine. So here's the thing. If God's always moving us toward better, if God's always doing uh, what the best could be for our lives and and for his purposes in our life, why does he choose miracles to sometimes do that? Because God could choose any method, any path that he wanted to. There's something significant about those moments when God chooses to do this through the impossible, through the unexplainable, through a miracle. Why choose miracles? Well, there's actually a significant reason that God chooses to do it this way. And we see it in verse 11. There's actually three reasons that that we see. And it's going to be a theme that walks through the entire book of John, the gospel of John. We see the miracles of Jesus and they always come back to these three purposes. So let's take a closer look at verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. There are seven signs in the gospel of John, seven specific miracles that Jesus does. So these first of the signs through which he revealed what his glory and then what happens and his disciples believed in him. So three reasons God chooses to move and work through miracles. Here's the first, is to point to Jesus. In this story, there's a revelation of God. What is God revealing? He's revealing the identity of his son, Jesus. Why is it that Jesus has the power to transform water to wine? Because he is God in the flesh. He is the son of God who's come to save And even today, the key to miracles is that God moves in these ways in our lives to point us to Jesus. He's not just being nice. He's not just trying to give us what we want. He's pointing us toward the reality that Jesus came into the world to save. When we trust in him, we have new life. And the second reason that we see here, why is it that God does miracles? To build faith. Miracles have a purpose of building faith in the people who witness and experience it. Why did Jesus turn water to wine? Well, what does it say immediately following this? His disciples believed in him. Now, we need to understand they already believed that he was the Messiah. They had given up their jobs, their lives, some of them their homes, to follow this traveling itinerant rabbi because they already trusted and believed that he was the Messiah. But what is happening here is they're learning to entrust their entire lives, hopes, and dreams in this person, not just as a teacher, but as the Son of God. And as God does miracles in our lives, there's that same purpose, to build a faith, a trust, not an intellectual agreement that Jesus is who he said he is, but entrusting our lives to him. To say, God, my whole life is yours, you can have it, I follow you, you can be in control, you are Lord, and whatever you do, it's good. And I'm gonna follow right after you. Now, the third reason We see here in verse 11, why does God do miracles to reflect God's glory? One more look at verse 11. What he did here in the Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. God is revealing his glory through this act, and that revelation of God's glory, the pointing to, the magnifying, the shining a light on God's glory, really is always the ultimate purpose of why God does miracles. So for you and me, as we get to those moments, whether it's a diagnosis or a situation or a circumstance and we not need God to move and do what only God can do, we really gotta stop and ask ourselves a question, am I asking God to move in this way for His glory? That other people will make much of God and worship Him and, and praise Him and recognize how amazing God is, that I might worship and praise and recognize how amazing God is, or am I asking God to do this in this moment for my glory? so that I can have more power or a greater reputation or or more comfort or pleasure. It comes back to this reality that God doesn't move to make much of us, but God brings his miracle-working power into our lives, yes, in love and in mercy and in grace, but ultimately to shine a light on his glory. Now, why is that important? Because if we really were to, to be honest with ourselves, the reality is, that if God were to move in our lives to bring us glory, because of our sin and our brokenness and our selfishness, most of the time, if not all the time, we would take that glory, we would misuse it, and we would harm ourselves and others. We would basically self-destruct. And we're not made to, to have glory, we're made to reflect and point to God's glory through the work that He does in our lives. So we can trust and, and hold on to, yes, God is doing miracles. And, and how do we look for it? We look for the moments where God is pointing to his son, Jesus, through incredible acts that defy logic that we can't wrap our minds around. We look for those moments where he moves in miraculous ways to, to build our faith. And we look for those moments where God is, is doing amazing, incredible things to point to his glory. As we close out this morning, let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts. What are some things that we can absolutely know about the miracle power of God, his wonder-working power in and through our lives and in and through the church? What can we know about God's miracles as we look for them? A couple of things. Number one, we can know that everything that God does is good. God will never move in a way that isn't for our good, that isn't, toward the better isn't for God's best and our best. And we may not always understand. We may not always be able to to wrap our minds around it. We may not always like it, but everything that God is doing, we can trust as we pray and call out to him, we can know it's good. The second thing we can know is that God always has a plan. And there's lots of moments in life where I'm going to be surprised and you're going to be surprised and we're going to be uncertain and we're going to face a future that's unknown. But what we can know about God is that he's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He's never wondering, well, what am I going to do now? I didn't see this coming. But he always, always has a plan and a purpose that he's working towards sometimes through miracles. And when he does this, we can trust that he's doing what's right and good and true and honorable, and we can walk with him. Number three, we can know that God can do anything according to his character. See, God is always God. He's always good. He can do the impossible. There's nothing beyond the realm of what God can do, but God will never act in a way that's contrary to his character. He's truth. He's love. He is glory. He is grace. He is mercy. He is kindness. And all these ways, we can understand that God is going to move in a way that lines up with who he is. He will always act in a way that lines up with truth. He will always work in a way that lines up with love. He will always work in a way that lines up with his heart of mercy and kindness and generosity. And whatever God is doing, we can know that God is gonna work in, in a way that lines up with his character. So as we pray, if God says no, we can understand that that's according to God's plan and it's according to who he is. If God says wait, we can understand that it's according to his plan and it's according to who he is. And I may not always understand what God is doing, but because of his revelation and the way he's moved toward us, I can always know who he is and I can continue to trust him. And then finally, and this might be my favorite, what can we hold on to as we look for miracles and, and ask the question, why does God sometimes do this and sometimes he doesn't? Why does God choose to move with certain miracles? I love this, is that we can understand the servants of God are the first to see the miracles of God. Who was it in the story that got to see the water turned to wine? It was the servants who went to dip the water from those ceremonial jars. It was the ones who had said yes to Jesus in full obedience to what he commanded them to do that saw in their hands the transformation of what they brought to God when it was put in the hands of God. I love that. If you want to see miracle working power, if you want to see God move in ways that defy logic, if you want to see God show up in your life and the lives of people around us, choose to join with what God is doing. Become a servant of God. One of the most incredible yeses we can say in life is a yes to the Lord, a yes to God. To say, God, whatever you call, whatever you ask of me, the answer is yes. Because I know that when I get on the front lines with you, I'm going to see the miracle power of God at work. You want to see the miracles of God? Become a servant. So I don't know what miracle it is you're praying for today. I don't know what miracle it is you need I don't know what impossible move of God you're waiting on and crying out to him, but we can know that God is absolutely in the miracle working business. And we can know that when God does a miracle, it's always to point to Jesus. It's always to build our faith. It's always to point to his glory. It kind of gives us a target in life of how and when to pray for miracles, of how to expect them and look for them. Not to build us up not just to give us what we want not to make life easier but to point us to Jesus to help us to trust our lives to him and point to God's glory that's how we look for miracles together so I want to encourage you in your life and the lives of the people around you keep praying for those miracles God will keep moving in impossible amazing ways because that's who God is but understand why and when and where God chooses to do those miracles. Let's pray with the heart of God. And maybe we just start in this moment where we say, Lord, I'm not sure that I can change my heart on my own. So I'm asking you, would you give me a deep desire to want the things that you want? God, would you give me a deep desire to see your glory magnified in my life and around my life? And perhaps when we get to that place more and more and more, we will begin to see these miracles of God and we'll praise Him together. So let's pray together uh, for that change in our hearts. Let's pray for those miracles to happen. Let's pray for those around us who need a miracle of God. And then let's praise Him, not just today, but through the week and all the things that we do and say and our work and everything we put our hand to. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the miracle working power that you bring into our lives. God, we thank you that that you're not a God who just bends to our will. You're not one who serves us to just give us what we want because Lord, we know that we would just take that and we would twist it and we would hurt ourselves and others. We would self-destruct. But we know, God, that you are in a miracle working business to point us to Jesus, to build our faith in you, to point to your glory. And we know that that is the best and we're grateful. Many of us watching today, Lord, we need a miracle of healing. We need a financial miracle. We need a relationship miracle. We need a a miracle in our circumstances. And maybe we've been praying for a a long, long time. God, I pray for your encouragement to help us to see what you're doing more clearly, to hear your voice, And I pray, God, for a desire in our hearts, not for you to just give us what we want, but for you to get more glory in and through our lives and all the things that you do. Help us to begin to have a vision to see all the miracles you're doing around the world that are pointing to people to Jesus day after day after day. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you that you are a God of the impossible. And we pray this in Jesus' name and the power of your Holy Spirit.